Okay, so this is our first episode and we have a wonderful guest with us. We have two wonderful guests. One of them is my awesome wife, Veronica. So obviously we're starting with the best. <laughs> I hope he uses awesome to describe me too. And somebody that is even more awesome. Thank you. <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> which is Garrick. Mm-hmm. And I, we've been talking in the car a little bit about what all this is about. The idea is to talk about this group of people, a group of people that doesn't just write or post uh, all the awesome things they do for social justice or to make the life of other people better, but also for people that live their life on doing it. So, Ronnie, you have a more close relationship with Garrick than I did, um, so if you, how would you introduce him, besides extraordinary? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Please use the word extraordinary. Of course. Um, Garrick uh, Scott is his last name. Um, we met working together at the um, this area's Center for Independent Living, um, where Garrett currently works. What's your um, role? What's your title I there? Actually, well, my official title is Youth Specialist. Okay. And um, we, we would work together. I mean, I was just really... I don't want to say impressed, but that because that sounds cheesy. I, I guess I just felt like um, I have a sort of mentor in in Garrick when when we met because right away he was all about um, helping me make connections and um, helping me be the best disability advocate that that I can be um, in the role that I held um, there at the Center for Independent Living, and and so. Garrick really does do um, life and, and work um, with excellence, so he'll, he can share um, the various roles that, that he holds, not only at the Center for Independent Living, um, but he also does a couple other things. you want to expand on that, Garrick? Well, I want to say first that I also was impressed when I met him because I, the first time that I seen a non-Latino person been so skillful by drinking shots of tequila. Uh, <laughs> Years of practice, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Gary, t- tell us a little bit more about, about yourself. So currently I, I work as a youth specialist at the, uh, uh, this particular center for independent living. And I, I just don't want to tout anyone, uh, not that I'm opposed to this center as opposed to any other, but just, just so nobody else said, well, you didn't mention us and that sort of thing. Uh, I have a great deal of investment in this particular center. Uh, I started out as a volunteer back in 2002. Uh, I did that for a number of years. Uh, then I eventually I went from a volunteer to the board chair, which sounds crazy, but yeah. <laughs> there, there was a, a length of time in between there where I had no involvement that, that uh, prompted that. Uh, I've had the pleasure of serving as the president of the National Federation of the Blind of Georgia. I've served on a variety of boards. I've been a part of Leadership DeKalb, which is an organization that uh, recognizes individuals who have leadership potential for the county. And so, which is sorry, it's something that we didn't say. So this is a podcast, so a lot of people will not 
No, because they okay. can't see us, so they are blind. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, we should have started with that. We should have with that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's go back. And people need some sort of clarification. I am blind. Um, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa when I was in the eighth grade. Uh, and that is a deterioration of the retina from the inside out. Mm. So, so it is a hereditary disease. Uh, not to get too scientific, it means that it has to be recessive in both parents and then it becomes dominant in the offsprings. Mm-hmm. Fortunate for me, it only became dominant in me and not my brothers and sisters. And I say fortunate because now they can read mail and take me places, <laughs> which wouldn't have been possible if we all had it. So <laughs> I still find it fortunate for me in that regard. But are you, are you the... I am the eldest. I am the eldest. And I'm still in charge. Don't worry. (laughs) Blindness does not determine leadership. (laughs) I I promise you that. So, so in, in that regard, so I am blind. So I've had some involvement in the National Federation of the Blind nationally and in the National Federation of the Blind of Georgia. So in, if I mention it in, in this interview in the future, I'll probably say NFB or NFB of Georgia, just so people will know what I'm referencing in that point. Right. But my work with youth started long before any work that I did with uh, the blind community. My actual first real job was with the uh, YMCA and I uh, eventually became a director of after school program for student sighted students and and it was then that I started to realize that I had an acronym for working with students oh. and which I didn't realize working that with students in general or in, in, general, in general absolutely uh, because that is that tends to be a family trait you know how some families everybody tends to be a police officer or uh-huh. everybody's an athlete it, it, it is innate within my family that everybody is good with young people with hmm. students with children uh, there are like three principals, 20 teachers, nine foster parents. Wow. And, and the, the Lord just blessed me that to be blind and, and have the skill to work with blind students. Mm-hmm. And, and I attributed that to my family and to the life that, that I led in that I wasn't, I didn't have anybody like me, I know that sounds a little arrogant, but I didn't have anybody <laughs> like me to say, listen, Gary, you can still do this. Blindness doesn't define you. You yeah, don't need to right. do that. I didn't have anybody like that. So I had a lot of bumps in the road mm. getting to where I am now. So it is actually imperative that I, I do that for those students to make the path to them being the independent person that they want to be happen and so so in that happening I got the chance to work with sighted students I've worked with blind students and now I work with students of a myriad of disabilities ranging from cognitive disabilities autism to Asperger's to cerebral palsy to you name it and so was that um, you doing that or or people told you ask you if you can because I'm Latino, uh-huh, uh-huh. so and and the tendency when I work in, in places is, well, you're Latino, you're gonna work with the Latinos. My guess was that people would say, well, you're blind, work with blind kids. So it didn't start out that way. Uh, the blind kids fell into my lap more so. People knew I was good with kids because I work with sighted kids. So right. they figured if he can work with sighted kids, he can work with blind kids. <laughs> They're not nearly as much trouble. That is the quote-unquote theory. But I would say blind kids do the same 
same thing Sally kids do. <laughs> it is no different in, in any way. So it was just more a matter of people just assuming I was good with kids, yeah. so I would be good with kids regardless of their circumstances. So that's how that came about. Yeah, and but, to, to attest to what, what Garrick is saying, I mean, I've, I've seen the way um, young people just open up like um, they just feel safe and heard with Garrick and like a freedom um, so it definitely is a, a gift that, that he has well I thank you for that comment I really do I yeah really do. so <clears throat> so even so it became more of a challenge to me because I wasn't sure does my if my style of teaching if my presentation would translate to students of other disabilities mm. and, um, I'm currently finding that it is, that they welcome it just as much as anybody, and that students with disabilities are students first and disabilities second. So yeah. it was a little bit of ignorance on my part to even think that it would be different because it absolutely isn't. I get to really just do what I do, and the students appreciate and learn and, and take in the information that I give them in that regard. So I'm really excited about that. That component. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't want to skip ahead. Well, you, you can. You can decide how the linear conversation can go. But mm -hmm. I, you say something interesting to me when we were coming on the car, because mm -hmm. you did a fundraiser for something that you're doing in Mexico, and it's gonna be the first time that something like that happened. Can you share a little bit more about that? This is so, another another one of Garrick's roles, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so is it okay if I give a little history about this? Sure. So, so the, the thing is, if we're gonna, gonna say all the things he wants to say, we need a toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> so true. This is why Fede is the minister that he is. <laughs> he breaks it down like it needs to be broke. <laughs> yeah, share, share with us. So, so um, back in 2012, uh, w when I was serving as the president of the National Federation of the Blind, a woman called our office one day. She was a professor at a local college here in the Atlanta metro area. Mm -hmm. And she says, I take my students to Guadalajara, Mexico, so they can learn to work with students of another culture, and they have to speak Spanish, and we um, hold health fairs for them. She said, and in doing so, I came across this school for the blind, and they don't have anything. They have one braille writer for 30 students. And everybody I called said they couldn't do anything. Is there any way you can help me? And I knew there's no way one braille writer could work for 30 students. So I told her, I said, I can absolutely help you. You call the right place. I'll make sure you all get two braille writers to take with you the next time you go. So she was most appreciative, and she invited me to come the next time, the next year in 2013. My schedule wouldn't allow me to do so. Mm -hmm. She invited me to come the next year in 2014. I said, my schedule was, won't... But wait, again, when was the first year she contacted you? She contacted me in 2012. Okay, so... And I got the Braille ago. writers for her. Yeah. And in fact, the next year, I stayed in contact with her. I said, well, all those blind students need canes. <laughs> so I called... Yeah. Other members of the Federation of the National Federation of the Blind around the country, and I said, I need canes for these blind students in Mexico. And people started donating canes and sending wow. canes, and I sent them all to Mexico. And the tragic thing was, the, the canes arrived at the post office, but they told the school, The canes are here, but if you want them, you gotta pay for them. No. And that frustrated me to know, and they couldn't get the canes. So I said, I gotta do something different next time. So she invited me to come the next year. So it's 2014, she's invited me again, I couldn't go. And I said, no matter what, I'm going in 2015. 
And then I realized, okay, I took a little Spanish in college, but my Spanish Spanish wasn't to the point where I could work with blind students. So I said, I need to call somebody to go with me. Yeah. So I had a colleague who spoke fluent Spanish, who was blind, and I asked her if she wanted to go. Her name is Conchita Hernandez. And she said, yes, I want to go. You know, I'm Mexican. I would love to help Mexican <laughs> blind students. I said, boom, then we're going. So I confirmed that I was going. So Conchita is one of those energizer bunnies. Mm-hmm. She takes something and she runs with it. So she said, in her mind, we need more people. Yeah. She, so she called a gentleman who was a close friend of mine, Sachin, and she said, Sachin, you need to go with us. He said, cool. Sachin didn't speak Spanish either, but he is the director of accessibility at the University of Utah State. Oh, nice. I said, we need him. Yeah. And, right. and so I said, all right, now we got a team. It's the three of us. So then she said, she contacted another gentleman, Richie Flores, who I also had worked with with blind students in the past, a variety of years in the past. She said, Richie, you need to go with us, too. And I said, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) So now it's the four of us. We all have worked with each other in some capacity with blind students, but never all four of us together. And so we decided to go, and we went in 2015, 2016, and we went. And each year it has just grown and grown to the point that we got to do something else because we need the parents and the students and the teachers and those individuals who work with blind people all in one place. Mm. So last year we applied for this grant called the Holman Grant. Yeah. And it is one of the biggest grants given to non-projects or just even to profit huh. um, projects that organizations are doing. So we didn't get it the first year, but we applied again the second year and we got it. So it's $25,000. And our project was to do the first ever conference for the blind in Mexico. So now that's what's going to take place this upcoming July. It'll be the 26th through the 28th of July. It's just just for Mexico, but people from different countries can go? Oh, and it's funny you say that. So there will be individuals who are coming from Colombia, and there will be a woman coming from... uh, uh, the Dominican Republic. They, they can learn about what so they think absolutely, that is so they can learn. We would never tell anyone from uh, who who is Latino from uh, uh, heritage or nature that they can't take part in it. Our absolute goal is that for people who are blind to achieve the inf- the uh, life they want to live, to receive the information that they need to live an independent life. So we absolutely will. So. To get to what you were mentioning, Fede, I decided in lieu of people uh, giving me birthday gifts that they would make a donation to my being able to support 15 people to participate in the conference and take care of their travel. So my goal was 1000 and I absolutely decided that if I get 500 I'm happy. <laughs> so I had 150 I was excited. And then... Uh, I was blessed by you and, and your church and your wife and your family making a sizable donation. And that put me at the original mark that I said. I said, well, that goal was reached too quick. <laughs> I got to go for $1,000. And, and, and I was just so pleasantly surprised at how many people realized that uh, when, if it's blindness, it doesn't matter what country you live in. 
It doesn't matter if we speak the same language. If there is one of us who doesn't have true independence, yeah. then none of us have true independence. Mm. Exactly. And I was able to reach the goal of uh, over $1,300. Well, next time you should have to for $2,000. I promise you, next time it will be $2,000. <laughs> but in uh, doing that, just to have the opportunity to reach those students, because if I could speak a moment about the students in Mexico. Yeah. So I have no vision. So in Mexico, unlike the United States, every child must get an education. Mm -hmm. So if that means there has to be a school for blind students, then the state pays for it. Mm -hmm. If there has to be a school for students who are deaf, then the state's paid for it. Make sure those students get an education also. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist. Well, a law was just passed that it, that it will exist in Mexico, but it's not prevalent. Let me, let me ask you a question mm -hmm. because we did experience. So Ronnie and I, we lived in Uruguay for mm -hmm. two years. Mm -hmm. I am from Argentina. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily, I'm not really inform how it's here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But for example, in Uruguay and in Argentina, I don't know how it's in Mexico, there are laws that, in theory, mm -hmm. um, empower people with disabilities, offering saying, like, they can go to, to the regular school with, and, and we will provide with an interpreter or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we will provide the books. Offering inclusion, inclusion and accessibility. Exactly. But it, it's in the law. Exactly. Nevertheless, in the practice, it doesn't happen. Exactly. It's not even in the law it's not even in, in the Mexico. Law. Exactly. Right. Until now, the law was just recently passed, but it's going to take one or two years before it to fully flourish as a law. So, so what is happening currently is that the, the schools for the blind are more like a private institution, so parents have to pay out of their pocket more often than not. So they can't afford for that child to, to go to school all the way up through a senior in high school, then college, so most more often than not, they receive a sixth grade education, and they teach them a skill that relates to singing or playing an instrument so that they can stand then on the street corner and, and raise money for themselves to provide for food and that sort of thing. So, so, so they, they create a very, very low ceiling. Absolutely. If, Extremely if low. Ceiling. If you could even call yeah. I would call it more like a floorboard. <laughs> 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 but you are absolutely right. You're absolutely that's that's exactly what happened. So what when we go to you know, we went there the first year with these high expectations of what we would do, but it, once we left, they went back to doing what they normally did with the students. So we realized the second year, okay, we got to have a separate class for the students and a separate class for the teachers. We got to teach them how to, to uh, teach these students and why it's important. And so that worked a little better, but then even the third year, we said, why are we not talking to the parents? So we had a student component, a teacher component, and a parent component. And that led us to com the culmination of what we do now with the com uh, conference, so that everybody will be in one place at one time. Right. And it, it is extremely epic in that the... Um, president of the blind world blind union is going to be that's going to make an really? appearance exactly which is unprecedented I, I would um, encourage people to check out your facebook page absolutely or oh, even our website are we facebook friends we are oh, okay 
one of I, you. I didn't know that we were Facebook friends. I'm friends with one of you. Ronnie doesn't have a Facebook, so she Oh, yeah, yeah, it's you then. It's you then. Exactly, exactly. So, so, but even with that, uh, Metas LLC is our website, so definitely go and see the pictures and just see the students. And we use more non traditional methods of teaching because we want to make sure that cultural, language barriers are, are, are across and the students understand. So, even as we want to teach the students the correct way to use the cane, we use a piñata. So they get to sing the, <laughs> the piñata song, and they get to tap their cane the correct way. So they get it becomes more second nature to use the cane that right. way to them. So uh, we do a variety of things in that regard, and I'm really proud of the work that we do in that. Now, are we an organization that only works in uh, South American countries or Mexico? No, we're not. We absolutely do work here in the U.S. also with individuals who are in situations where they can't receive government assistance but they are blind. We absolutely do work with them also. And we've done a couple of projects in Texas and we have future plans to do projects in Utah and in Vegas where there are individuals, a large population of individuals who are uh, Latino descent and who are blind. And so uh, our goal is not just to say, oh, we do work in Mexico. Our objective is to make sure that blind people, no matter what country they live in, so get an opportunity. you're going as global as you and local as you can. Exactly. Local and as worldwide as we can. <laughs> if, if, if at all possible. So let me ask you a question. It might yeah, yeah. be uh, maybe an ignorant question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because uh, I know, so every country has a different sign language. Now, in Braille, Braille, is, is, it, in, is it international or is it different in every country? So it is a little different in every country. It is a little different because, you know, it has to be based on the language that's spoken there. So it is, there is some differences, but there is some basic nuances. So what we have to recognize first is even before we can get the student to learn quote-unquote Spanish Braille, we had to get them to recognize how important Braille is and get them comfortable with Braille and embracing Braille. Would, and, you, would you say the same thing about um, the use of their cane? Like, absolutely. they have to learn that importance. All, anything related to their blindness, we have to get them comfortable with using it because uh, I have a student that I'm working with now who can't even twist the top on a bottle, 16 dollar bottle of Coke because Everybody does everything for them. Yeah, yeah. And, and what, uh, your son is what, eight, nine? Eight. Oh, thank you. Thank you, King. <laughs> so, King's eight. <laughs> so, but I guarantee you, if you gave him a bottle of Coke with a twist top, he could open it himself, right? Right. right. So, but with a blind person, then people say, oh, let me open it for him. So they never develop those muscles in their form to even do so. Wow. So I'm having to start at, at scratch with this young man to get, do the simplest thing, popping a top, uh, clicking a pen, to do those sort of things so we can even progress to things such as uh, operating a microwave, opening a bottle of soda, and that sort of thing. But all that creates confidence, and when someone has confidence, then they want more independence. They want the opportunity to try things and to do things more. Right. And that is varied from st- from country to country. Mm-hmm. Even within the U.S., it's varied from state to state, so from region to region. So it, it, it is always creating a foundation right. with the students first. Was that Did that come a lot from your family, your upbringing? Uh, I would say no. 
No. I would say no, because, you know, it, there's no handbook with raising a child, period. So there absolutely is no handbook with raising a child with a disability. Mm -hmm. You only have what you saw on TV, what you saw in a movie, what mm -hmm. you read in a book, mm -hmm. book, or your own personal deduction about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure that nearly every blind person, I mean sighted person, has sat in their living room and said, I wonder what it's like to be blind. And they closed their eyes for a couple of minutes. Right. That's not what it's like to be blind. <laughs> that's just closing your eyes for a couple of minutes. So so they, that's the perception they have. Like, if I close my eyes right now, man, if I couldn't see, I couldn't do A, B, C, or D, mm -hmm. which is really not, may not be true. Right. So we go say, not only can you still do A, B, C, or D, you can do E, F, G, and J, and right. H, and all of them. So yeah. it, it, you have to start by creating a confidence level within the student to do so, to even begin to teach them any skill that you want to teach them, whether it's using a cane, mm -hmm. whether it's reading Braille, whether it's cutting fruit, mm -hmm. whether it's operating a stove, whatever it, the case may be. Yeah. And that does vary from country to country. Right. What, what would you say, just kind of an overview of, of the importance of using a cane is. So, look, look, and, and look, let me say, just in case any other blind people hear this podcast, <laughs> I am I personally use a cane, but whatever means of independent travel, whether it be a cane or a service animal you use, as long as you have a level of independence in using it, I'm all for it. Mm. I personally use a cane. But within using a cane, uh, it allows you to gain information that you can't necessarily get in walking sighted guide all the time. Uh, you can determine the different textures in the floor. So if you had to come back, reverse your route, you will have those things in your memory. Oh, I remember here the floor was a tile. Right. Or I remember when I got here there was a carpet on the floor. I need to look for that carpet so I can find the door. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And you don't get that if you're not using a cane and you're constantly taking someone's elbow. So even now, do I never take someone's elbow? That's not true. Right. I, I took Fede's elbow from the car coming in here. One, because we were having a conversation and he doesn't have to talk over his shoulder and that sort of thing. We're friends. We, right. we can engage in the conversation. Right. But uh, uh, when I get an opportunity to be to travel independently with my cane, I want it, or I at least want the opportunity to try. And the more you travel with a cane, the more you develop that confidence to where, at minimum, you want to try. I wonder what'll happen if I walk over here. Mm. I wonder what'll happen if I walk over there. Yeah. And you don't get that if you're constantly holding on to someone's elbow. Because what they're going to do is they're going to maneuver you around every pole, every statue, <laughs> every water fountain. And in your mind, you're just walking in a tunnel. Yeah. You don't know any of those other yeah. things even exist for the most part. So as, as one, of, one of our final questions, mm -hmm. um, I, w I want to hear from you what, what are maybe the top assumptions that people make of you as a mm. blind man, as a blind black man. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I guess one, one thing just pops in my mind right away is that, <laughs> that became comical um, at, at work. It's just like Garrick um, flies. Like he walks faster than oh, a well, lot of people with so his... Came. So that's viewed as being fast, but I'm six foot four. Right, he's tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I take long <laughs> steps. So anybody, if a sighted person who was six foot four was walking at that speed, no one would say he was walking fast. Right. But the general perception is that if you're blind, you're going to walk slow and timid. But I have a high level of confidence in my cane 
it, it's six feet long. So it's going to detect things long before I could come in contact with it. Yeah. So I'm not worried about running into stuff. I'm walking at what would be my normal pace. Right. And we all, even if you're sighted, you come across people who by nature walk fast. Yeah. Now, I could still be one of those people that walk fast by nature. But because I'm blind and I'm not doing, quote, unquote, what a blind person traditionally does, then they say, oh, you're walking too fast. You need to slow down. When in actuality, I'm only being a human. I'm only doing what is in my DNA to do, which is the same for everybody else. So that perception, I would want people to... To discount, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want people. I would want people to say, "Oh, your cane is too tall." Now, if, if I could say quickly about the cane, yeah, it was sighted people who determined how long the cane needed to be. They never when it was asked, invented, oh, exactly. Yeah. No one ever asked blind people, "How long do you all think your cane should be?" They got some sort of engineer at some one of these high tech engineering schools to say, "So, what do you think?" And so they start measuring people and measuring cane. Oh, it only needs to come to the middle of their chest, huh. which is absolutely. Because right. even at that length, there's only a foot, maybe two feet of reaction time. So it's like if you're walking and you're looking at your phone and you look up and glance and you see a pole, you still have two or three feet to react, to stop, to walk around right. it or something of that nature. But when you have a blind person who's walking with a cane that's too short, they don't have that reaction time. The cane is hitting the object and they're hitting the object. Yeah. But when you have a longer cane like I do, then the cane is hitting the object, I stop, or I can tap it, walk around it, and keep going. And people don't have, don't understand that perception because unfortunately there are too many blind people walking with too short canes. So that would be one thing that I would want to stop. The second thing is that you, you predetermine anything about a blind person simply based on the fact that they are blind. Whether it be intellect or their need for your assistance. Because in all honesty, when you predetermine that someone needs your help because of a disability, then you've also predetermined that you're better than they are. Mm. And that's absolutely what you do. They need my help because they can't do this like I can. Right. That's exactly what... And, and we, you, you should never do that now. If I could give one piece of advice to everybody listening to this podcast, it is absolutely okay to ask the question. Do you need some assistance? But it is imperative. It is absolutely respectful to respect the answer. Because there are going to be some individuals like me that want to explore, that want to learn the building. And if they say, yes, I need some help, then they won't be able to get that information. So if they say no, respect them, say, okay, you have a nice day. That's a pretty shirt you have on, by the way. Right. And not just say, go to your left, go to your right. Because then you totally disrespected what their um, wishes were when you asked them original Which question. is a good advice because it's exactly what I did when I went to pick you up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it happens yeah. by nature. But right. then, then there are some people at FedEx, I promise you, that feel totally disrespected if I say, no, I don't need any assistance. Okay. I've had people say things that range from, well, I hope you fall down. Oh. Or, or people say, <laughs> or get irritated, don't help Garrick, he don't like any help. And I never say, right. I get, I'm a blind person. Every day of my life, I get help with something. Right. But what independence is, is you determine who, what, where, when, why, and how somebody's interacted in your life. And it doesn't matter if you have a disability or not. 
everybody has that choice. Right. But people want to label me differently because I don't want their particular assistance. We all have vibes. We feel people. And sometimes we don't want to interact with somebody. Right. Right. But I'm supposed to interact with everybody just because they want to do something. And, and I would tell people, don't do, you can't take it one way or the other. If somebody doesn't want your assistance, just say hello and keep it moving. Yeah. And just keep it moving. Oh. All right. Thank you so much. We ran out of time. And mm -hmm. well, I think we we would really like to do this again once you come back from from the trip and oh, absolutely. the conference. We would like to know more about all the experiences you heard there. Part two, son. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and we can always come back to this place. And I'd like to give a shout out to my boy Javier. Oh, oh there we go. Que pasa, Javier? Thanks right. so much, Thank Eric, so for much. doing no this. No problem. Thank you, Ronnie, for, for joining us. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and stay tuned for episode two of Just Samaritan. And make sure to check out um, Garrick's website, so Meta LLC. Metas. Metas F LLC. Mm -hmm. So M-E-T-A-S-L-L-C.com? Dot org. Dot org. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. <coughs>